After several years of decline, international student numbers are on the rise again. Thousands more students are coming to this country, especially from India. This Radio New Zealand Insight program looks at the opportunities and risks posed by this growth and the blurring lines between education and immigration. I came from Saudi Arabia and I've been almost one year and a half here in New Zealand. I'm going to study at Mass University in Auckland. I'm from France and I've been here for almost a year. I'm from Vietnam. I will go to the university in July and study about finance. These international students are among nearly 100,000 expected in New Zealand this year. Collectively, they'll spend almost $3 billion on fees and living costs, a figure that makes international education this country's fifth biggest foreign exchange earner. And it's growing. After several years in the doldrums, international student numbers leapt 12% in the first eight months of last year. But how many foreign students can our institutions cope with? And is a huge jump in Indian enrolments a dangerous bubble? I'm John Gerritsen, and this insight investigates the outlook for growth in international student numbers and their impact on our education system and society. It's University Orientation Week, and students are gathering in Auckland's Albert Park to listen to bands and celebrate. Auckland is the heart of the international education industry, with 60% of the country's foreign students, and the University of Auckland, just across the road from here, is the single biggest enroller. Is it less than six months? Yeah. Can I get you to write your ID number at the back? Sure. The university's international student office has a 30-metre queue snaking outside as students get their visas and other details checked off. The university's deputy vice-chancellor, Jenny Dixon, expects more than 6,000 students from overseas to enrol this year, 40% of them from mainland China. And they're worth a lot of money. We're budgeting for around 100 million income from international students. That's about 10% of our overall budget. Certainly, as government funding effectively reduces, uh, the funding that comes from international students does, uh, does take on more importance for universities. Jenny Dixon says the plan is to go even further. In our strategic plan, we aim to increase the percentage of international students as part of our student body to, from around 14%, which is where we are about now, to 18%. Is that 18%, was that set because that was probably a realistic goal, or is that a thought, well, that's as many as we could cope with? It's a stretch goal. It's certainly somewhat less than our Australian counterparts, where some of the Australian universities have around 25 or even 30% of their student body as international students. We're conscious of, of really wanting to get a good balance here, and we thought that that was a, well, it's a stretch target. It's, it's a reasonable one, and it looks like we might get there. And we'll just have to reappraise it once we, once we do reach that figure. Depending on what they study, international students' fees can be about double what an institution gets in fees and government subsidies for a domestic student in the same courses. Auckland charges $30,000 a year for foreign students studying commerce or science and $26,000 for those working toward a Bachelor of Arts. But Jenny Dixon says the goal is not simply to make money. It's also about ensuring that we are producing students who are prepared to go out into the global market. And it's really important for New Zealand students to sit alongside international students and really get to understand and work alongside people from different ethnicities and cultural backgrounds because that's all part of the global 
labour force. So just read the sentence. So, so he went home first mm -hmm. and after 30 minutes we went home. So what do we need? We don't need. We don't need. Good boy. Okay. Wonderful. Okay. Across town is another big Auckland institution, Mount Albert Grammar School, where 100 of the 2,700 students are from overseas. I really want to work on this because when I am in the mainstream classes, this is what we're doing, exactly this, making our sentences better, uh, more complex and more detailed. The school's international director, Evan Gray, says it was one of the first to start enrolling full fee-paying international students in 1998. And he can show me concrete proof of the value of those students. We've got a magnificent gymnasium, uh, state-of-the-art floor, state-of-the-art facilities, huge gymnasium with superb wooden floor, magnificent facilities for a, a whole range of sport. OK, how much, how much does this cost? I can't give you a figure, I'm not absolutely certain, but, but certainly hundreds of thousands. And international student fees helped contribute a lot to, to that? Around $200,000 went into the building of the gymnasium. Evan Gray says foreign students have become absolutely critical for many secondary schools. International students, from the point of view of institutions in New Zealand, have been a godsend. The income from international students has allowed people to be employed, it's allowed institutions to flourish, it's allowed um, facilities to be built, so the income from international students is an absolute godsend. And foreign students are a godsend the government wants more of. It wants the sector to bring in $5 billion a year by 2025. What we have seen in the last 18 months is starting to shift from sort of shorter courses uh, at lower levels through to higher levels. So last year we saw considerable growth in masters and PhD uh, numbers, uh, but, but of Grant McPherson is the chief executive of Education New Zealand, the organisation charged with promoting New Zealand as an education destination. He says the 2025 goal is achievable and will require about 40,000 more international students. Just about all of the modelling that we've done in terms of students, uh, student attraction, you're looking at around 140,000 students. Uh, in New Zealand, and that's quite consistent to sort of the peak of about uh, 10 to 15 years ago, which was up around the 120, 130,000. China provides more than a quarter of New Zealand's overseas students and nearly a third of last year's estimated $2.8 billion spend. Though Chinese enrolments are growing, Grant McPherson says New Zealand will have to look elsewhere to meet the 2025 target. There's something like 70 million less 10 to 24 year olds going to be in China. Whereas if you look at countries that have a younger population at the moment, places like Indonesia, Vietnam, what you're seeing is a huge increase, probably the best part of 40 million coming into that age group. It would be great to be talking to Indonesia and as we are in Vietnam for the 10 year olds at the moment who are going to be the 20 year olds in 2025. But how many international students can New Zealand cope with? Back in the heyday of international enrolments, overseas students accounted for more than a quarter of those enrolled at some universities and at Lincoln for more than half. Is it really a good idea to return to those sorts of numbers?
This is our international student student centre, and this this team is is really focused on all aspects of supporting our international students, both as from a recruitment perspective, but also just helping them settle into New Zealand, settle into their studies. They help them find accommodation. At Unitech in Auckland, 18% of the students are now from overseas, one of the highest proportions in the public education sector. But its chief executive, Rick Eid, says it's actually hard to tell. We're living in such a diverse city where 40% of Aucklanders are actually born overseas. Our domestic student base is incredibly diverse. So for us, in many respects, the international students you know, don't make perhaps as significant a change as they might in a smaller centre with a, with a lower migrant base. I know at one point, though, Unitech did have a, a, a goal or an intention to have no more than 20% of students coming from overseas. But this is something you want to be careful about, is it? Well, I think certainly we're, we're cautious about, if you like, bubble-type um, events where we get a big influx of students from one country in particular coming in. And also if we get one particular class dominated by students from one country rather than a, a broader base. But I think the, the 20% number has been a bit of a rule of thumb. But again, given the context of Auckland's sort of super diversity, we, we think that's actually a rather arbitrary number. We're, we're probably going to relax that. Staff representatives are more cautious. The chairperson of the Unitech branch of the Tertiary Education Union, Sid Suha Aksoy, says he welcomes international students, but a lot rides on checking that they can speak English well. If that uh, process hasn't been um, looked after well, then we have obviously issues in terms of understanding the co program, understanding course material. And if that wasn't the case, then that would put obviously extra pressure on tutors, lecturers, and that would result in slowing the course down. And, and that's the experience for some lecturers, that there are some students who, who are a bit behind on the English? That is exactly the experience from some of our colleagues, that it slows the course down if the language capabilities aren't there. And regardless of their mastery of English, the president of the Tertiary Education Union, Sandra Gray, says the rising number of international students is creating a lot more work for lecturers. It has a really big impact on kind of frontline teaching, if, uh, so to speak, because um, students from other countries present a whole range of complicated issues for us to deal with, not least of being they're far away from their support networks and their families, and that brings a whole lot of pastoral care issues up, um, down to being in a classroom where there's a whole lot of cultural differences around how we learn and how we teach. So it's a really resource-intensive area of teaching. The difficulty for the staff in the sector is there's no more real resource going in in terms of time allocation or money behind the actual teaching to allow them to put in that you know, extra work. So their workload's intensifying. Sandra Gray says because international students are worth so much money, there is sometimes pressure to pass them when they should fail. We are certainly getting more cases than before where we're seeing senior managers ask staff to change marks or where we're seeing senior managers changing marks um, without justification, not just for international students, however. We're seeing it across the board because of the focus, the government's focus on putting money into people who complete or progress or go on and do higher studies. So the whole system now is set up towards getting as many people as possible over the line. Sandra Gray is also worried institutions will compromise quality by redesigning courses to meet international students' needs. Some tertiary institutions are offering one-year master's degrees with the international market in mind, and some are compressing teaching into a few days, often on a weekend, in order to accommodate students' supposedly part-time work.
This is where the market is driving teaching and learning rather than the teaching and learning being the core thing we think about when we set up curriculum, when we set up lectures, when we set up courses. And I think, you know, we do have to refocus overall for tertiary education and say the first thing we have to decide is, is this good for teaching and learning? Will the students get quality teaching and will they learn lots out of the course? And then say, okay, well, that's the appropriate way to deliver. How do we find the resources to deliver in that way? To be honest, New Zealand has always been my dream country. This is a country which lives up to its hype unlike other countries. There was an India and New Zealand match going on. I was watching on the TV at that moment with my brother, and he said, I want to go over there. I said, um, OK, we'll go someday. Indian students are almost entirely responsible for last year's growth. Their numbers jumped by 60% to around 16,000 students in the first eight months of last year. Most of them are at private tertiary institutions. Figures for January indicate the surge is continuing, with even more first-time student visas issued to students from India than in January last year. The speed of that growth worries some people. Among them is Darren Conway, the Chief Executive at English Language School Languages International and Chairperson of English New Zealand, the association of top language schools. I think we took the brakes off too quickly there. It leaves us too, too vulnerable to, to that market uh, overall. Uh, it also you know, suggests that there may not be as much quality control over applicants going on as there could be. I think we made it too easy for um, the English language requirements were, 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 were loosened too much for India. And there are problems. The number of student visa applications from India almost tripled last year and 38% were declined, compared with just 4% for the other main market, China. Peter Elms is the Assistant General Manager Visa Services at Immigration New Zealand. He says most of those turned down were trying to enrol in private institutions and they were not really coming here to study. The people who don't make the, uh, uh, don't make the policy grade, if you like, are those people who uh, come into studying New Zealand for the lower level courses. Uh, and generally speaking, uh, they are declined because we doubt they're bona fides. And what that means in essence is that we doubt that they're, they're, uh, uh, their true reason for coming to New Zealand is to study at the level that they intend to study at. Education New Zealand's Grant McPherson denies the rapid rise in applications from India and the high number of declined applications are signs of an unsustainable bubble. He says New Zealand is not being targeted because it's regarded as a soft touch and the high number of declined requests is healthy. If you look around the world, we're not the only ones that have had such a massive increase in the number of Indian students that are, that are coming through. So I think that we're... we're pretty optimistic at the quality of the students and I think that you know, to your question where there's a higher number of declines you know, I think that's showing the system is working, that it's not just about anybody can you know, rock up and get a visa to come here, there is actually quite a strong process to make sure that they're bona fide they're coming here for the right reasons around their education development that it's just not open slather but despite the exceptionally high rate of refusals, students are getting through who should not be, and it sparked a qualifications authority investigation. The authority says in a statement the problem lies with institutions trusted to assess potential students' English themselves. We are investigating concerns that have been raised relating to students from India enrolling in programmes in New Zealand but not having the necessary English language proficiency. 
In conjunction with Immigration New Zealand and Education New Zealand, we are examining how providers who are enrolling students from India are applying the English language proficiency testing criteria and that standards and practices continue to meet NZQA's requirements and are authentic and reliable. NZQA says the problem is not widespread, but it shows there is substance to the fear that some institutions will cut corners in order to make the most of the gold mine of students from India. I decided to go to UK also, but I found out that the, they are not providing sponsorship. Then I thought, all right. What, what do you mean by a sponsorship? So a sponsorship means uh, the company will hire you. In that case, uh, they will give you a sponsorship, like work visa, to stay there and uh, work there for one or two years. And they stopped giving that. So I was like, if I go there, then how will I find a job? A key driver for the growth in international enrolments is the ability to work here during and after study and potentially to immigrate. Most students are allowed to work up to 20 hours a week during term time, and just over a year ago, the right to work full-time was extended from the summer break to all holidays. After graduating, students can get a work permit for between one and two years, depending on whether they have an offer of employment, and studying in New Zealand provides points towards residence applications. The numbers making that transition are not trivial. Official figures show 37% of the international students who came to New Zealand five or six years ago stayed on to work, and in the 2013-2014 financial year, 42% of skilled migrants were previously students here. Why won't many of Australians come to Auckland? Cricket. Cricket, yes. So that was probably the primary piece of information. That was attraction. This is a tourism management class at the Auckland Institute of Studies, a private tertiary institution with nearly a thousand students, 90% of them international students studying for a degree or in postgraduate courses. Its president, Richard Goodall, says the intersection of education, work and immigration means the institution is no longer only a tertiary educator. We've had to adjust our business. We did a strategic planning uh, retreat a couple of weeks ago and we asked the question that's very common, what business are we in? And we've decided we're actually in the, um, the education, settlement and work uh, employment business. The expectations that students come in and simply saying, come along, sit in our classroom, get your graduation certificate at the end and we wave you goodbye. Uh, it's a much a longer commitment nowadays and I think probably a healthier one. Richard Goodall says 43% of AIS students are Indian, and for them, employment and immigration are particularly big drawcards. A lot of the Indian students are looking for opportunities to start a whole new life, and immigration is a big factor in the Indian market. How do you accommodate or assist with students' work aspirations, and is there a bit of a tension between that goal and actually maintaining and uh, education quality? There is. Um, the Indian students in particular often are not wealthy, so they're dependent on their 20 hours a week that's permitted under the, the student visa. We accommodate them. As I said, a large number of our students are postgraduate, and our postgraduate teaching is focused on the weekends so that we can get industry people to come in, and that, that means that the students in the postgraduate area can undertake part-time work 9 to 5, Monday to Friday. And it's an approach that's working well. Up until about 18 months ago, we were static, and that's a polite word for stagnant, I guess, uh, but we're, we're on the move again. We're looking at, over the next three years, growing by 
between 10 and 15 per cent per year. I'm making a journey for tomorrow. The Sylvia Park campus of New Zealand Management Academy specialises in hospitality certificates and diplomas. Like AIS, it's a private institution enjoying strong growth in international enrolments. As the deputy campus principal, Nishit Alavia, explains. Last year when we uh, started off, uh, at the start of the year, we would have totally had about uh, sort of uh, less than uh, 400 international students and we've increased that in a year's time to uh, almost 600. And that's just the start of the year, so we will increase that even further uh, as the year goes on. So at the moment, at this campus, uh, we've got roughly about 850 students and we are hoping that by the end of this year we will uh, have close to about 1,200. Nishit Alavia says the students are coming from India and China but also Nepal, Japan and South Africa. He says helping students find jobs is a key part of what they do. One of the things that has enabled us to grow is having a student internship component in our programs which from an international student perspective they study with us for a year and a half and then the last six months of their uh, program of study is a paid student internship and then that helps them uh, sort of uh, gain a good uh, footing with uh, employers who in most instances would then uh, absorb the student into full-time work uh, when they get their uh, one-year uh, graduate open work visa. It's not just the private sector doing this. Polytechnics and universities are also doing more to help their students, domestic and international, to find work during and after study. Unitex Rick Eid says it's about balance. We actually need skills, we need skilled people. Um, international students are one absolutely fantastic way for you know, New Zealand employers to, to acquire those skills. However, it goes back to them being qualifications that are aimed at the, at the real jobs that are needed in the economy, not um, poorly paid unskilled or semi-skilled work that is simply a, a way of passing your, your migration points, basically. The University of Auckland's Jenny Dixon says without work and immigration rights, New Zealand institutions will struggle to compete for foreign students. We want students to have work rights and of course post-study work rights is also another issue because again students are thinking about what happens when I finish my degree, maybe I'll be able to stay uh, and, and those sorts of things are very important in terms of actually in encouraging students to, to think about coming to New Zealand as opposed to going to Australia or other countries. Now what you can see here is uh, we're looking at a couple of uh, business college websites. I say business college but they do you know, mainly business but they also do... Darren Conway of the Language School Association, English New Zealand, says there's too much blurring of education, work and immigration. And this one you can see is set up, the home page here, very much to this as, as an immigration pathway type business. I can see there's three words highlighted there, aren't there? Yeah. Study, work, settle. Yeah. Now, that, that just shows an, a type of orientation to... Um, it's not just a, an education institution. It's, it's a place that's selling a pathway to settlement in New Zealand. Now, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. But you're, you're plainly uncomfortable. There's a blurring going yeah, on here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't sell what you can't guarantee. For example, if you're promising those sorts of outcomes, it puts a lot more pressure on you to pass people, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, so there's an ethical blurring there. And we don't, as educational institutions, control the settlement outcome. So 
I do have some level of discomfort <laughs> about the orientation of this sort of organisation. Yeah. Darren Conway says there's a danger some institutions will act as immigration fronts that allow students to work a lot more than the 20 hours a week permitted during term time. It's a classic problem around the world, uh, what are called visa factories, where people basically look like a school but they're, they're, they're enrolling in the school in order to get the visa to enter the country and work and then they don't turn up in the school. It's a ghost school, essentially. Do you think, or do you know, if there are any of these ghost schools operating here in, here in Auckland? Uh, it's, I wouldn't want to overstate the problem. The New Zealand industry is a high-quality industry, but everybody knows everywhere around the world there are these types of institutions, and that includes in New Zealand. Yeah, they exist. Darren Conway says the best way to combat such schools is to make surprise random checks on institutions. The Qualifications Authority says it made surprise visits to eight institutions in the past 18 months. And Immigration New Zealand says in the last financial year it made 242 site visits, some of them unannounced, resulting in 21 students being made liable for deportation. Darren Conway says there should be more random checks. Others have more confidence in the system. I asked Richard Goodall of AIS if practices like marking absent students present and passing those who should fail are happening among his competitors. It probably does to some limited extent. One of the things that's happened between the bad old days, we'll say, and what happens at the moment is the, they're not called this, but the enforcement section of NZQA has been beefed up. The responsible providers and the um, organisations within uh, the private sector have become whistleblowers because we realise that, you know, we have to protect the quality of uh, New Zealand Inc.'s reputation in this field. There are clearly risks to the education system from sudden growth in international students. But on the other side of the equation are risks to the growth itself. Continued expansion of the market until the $5 billion target is met is by no means a sure bet. At the University of Auckland, Jenny Dixon says there is growing competition from other countries. There are significant threats. There's no question that the competition for international students is intensely competitive across the world. And what we're seeing now is, is uh, the US sort of waking up and realising that um, it can get far more engaged in this activity. But we're also seeing huge investment um, in uh, universities in, for example, Asia and the Middle East who are looking at keeping more of their students at home and they are too interested in uh, bringing international students to their countries. But there are also threats from within. As Evan Gray of Mount Albert Grammar School explains, things could take a turn for the worse if New Zealanders believe they're competing with international students for jobs and accommodation and start treating them badly. In Auckland, which is by far the biggest destination for international students, we have considerable pressures on accommodation, for example. We have the perception of our own citizens and residents in New Zealand, particularly those who are not of an Asian origin, that we're being overrun by uh, an Asian minority. So this is, this is a significant factor. So you think um, if people feel unwelcome here, Students feel unwelcome here, they'll let their friends know back home and that will um, actually damage the numbers coming here. We've seen that happen in Australia. There is a possibility of that happening in New Zealand and unless we manage that very carefully, um, it, it's certainly a possibility. 
Evan Gray's reference to Australia concerns assaults on Indian students in 2009 that prompted an outcry and cost the country thousands of enrolments. It's a reminder that the success of this multi-billion dollar industry depends not only on New Zealand's ability to attract students, but the willingness to welcome them when they're here. I'm John Gerritsen, and that's Insight for this week. If you would like to contact us, you can send an email to insight at radionz.co.nz or send us a tweet at rnz underscore insight. I wrote and presented that programme. It was produced by Philippa Tolley with technical production by Mark Chesterman.